now. I think you can hear me now. All right, can you guys hear me now? Are we getting sound now? <laughs> uh, Michael, can we get sound now? Are we getting sound? Yes, okay, got it. All right, I don't know what happened there because I had sound on the test a minute ago. Uh, well, welcome to the Coral Rominger Show or uh, get Rominger on the phone. Of course, it figures we'd have a technical glitch right off to get, uh, but that's okay. That just means that uh, what I said earlier doesn't really count, uh, so you didn't hear my screed. The purpose of this show is to talk about the topics of the day and talk about what you guys want to talk about, but also with a little guidance for what I want to talk about. Um, you know, what's what's up my craw right now? Um, so a couple things. I don't want one-word answers, okay? I don't want to hear it's Biden's fault, Trump's great, Trump's fault, Biden's great. Any, any of that stuff, because that's not going to solve any of our problems. So one of the first things I wanted to do was bring up a little screen here uh, and show you guys uh, some numbers. OK, U.S. oil production in 2008. And I know it's going to get in the weeds for a second. Bear with me. Five point one million barrels a day. Twenty twenty two. We've doubled our production. We were a little higher than that uh, pre covid peaked under Trump. It's coming back up. We can make a lot of arguments. But look at the price of oil, okay? Uh, cost per barrel. In June of 2022, which is now, it's about 116 bucks, give or take. Uh, back in 2008, it was higher, $139. Um, then look at the cost of diesel fuel. How is it that diesel fuel can be more expensive today when oil was more expensive back then and we've doubled our oil production? And, and the reason I'm showing you this is look at our, our refinery capacity in 2008 and our refinery capacity in 2020. Uh, look at the curve I've got up here and how flat it is from 1985 up and through 2020 as our refinery capacity went up. In fact, the large major refineries built um, what? We lost sound again? Oh, goodness. Um, all right. Well, hopefully this stays up here. Keep me posted if you're not getting sound. We might have to figure this technology out. So anyhow, look at the barrels per day on the refinery capacity. Basically, what's happened is since like 1980 or so, we haven't built any refinery capacity. And so... We've got one other little thing going on here too called the Jones Act, which I'm just gonna put up really quick. Basically, it says that a ship uh, has to be built in the United States if it's gonna be sailed or used in the United States. And there's hardly any Jones Act vessels left, a couple hundred instead of thousands. Um, so why am I showing you all this? Why am I showing you the Jones Act? Why am I showing you this refinery curve? And why am I showing you these oil production figures? Um, because I wanted to bore you. No, what I wanted you to see is that it's not as simple as if we just drilled, there would be more diesel. We're at our refinery capacity. Refineries are using what they wanna use um, and producing what they wanna produce, but they're not producing enough diesel uh, fast enough because their refinery capacity is being put other places. In fact, 
a lot of our refinery capacity is for export. Uh, just want to remind you guys, I do have a number up here, 717-906-5319. So if you want to shoot some questions out here on the chat, feel free. If you want to try that uh, Google number and see if we can get our first caller here, uh, I'll appreciate that, 717-906-5319. Long time ago, Bob Durgan told me the hardest thing about talk radio uh, wasn't the callers. It was when you don't have the callers because you have to filibuster. Uh, So I've got my filibuster sheet over here, uh, you know, things I can talk about. But just to go back to this concept of where we stand on oil production and gas prices. We need more drilling, and drilling would certainly help. Um, And and Diana, you're right, supply and demand. So part of the problem was, and I've I've read about this extensively. I've argued with many of you on Facebook about it. um, And as you probably know, I have a pretty strong opinion about this. We, as a country, stopped producing as much oil. We peaked. Under the Obama years, shale fracking was invented. Our oil production went up, up, up. Uh, It peaked under Trump, and then because of the COVID, there was a steep decline in oil production. Uh, Biden isn't exactly oil friendly and it hasn't recovered 100%, but it is creeping back up. But Wall Street and the big money don't want to drill, or at least don't want to produce. They're drilling quite a bit, but they're not producing quite a bit. Um, but the reason I showed you those other numbers is to show that even as the oil supply goes up, uh, the ability of refineries to create a lot of product really isn't there. So one of the things that US refineries have done over the years Uh, Because remember, I just showed you a minute ago, we don't have, uh, and Amanda, I don't know why some people aren't getting sound and some people are. Uh, I wish I had a monitor on this so I could tell. Um, Yeah, okay, Doug's saying yes, but even if we produce more oil, flood the market. Do I have my first caller? Do I have have a caller? No, that's not a real caller, I don't think. Well, let's try it again. I think I lost my caller there. I was probably supposed to press one to accept. So try again if I just hung up on you. This is the problem with not having Art here. Uh, I wish Art was here because he could help me. (laughs) Uh, So if that was my first caller, please call back and we'll get you on. Uh, I think I forgot that it's coming through Google Voice, so I think I have to accept the call. Um, Anyhow, let me get back to what I was trying to say here. So because our refinery capacity didn't increase from the 70s, except just a little bit, a lot of times what they do is they make runs and store. Um, so they'll produce large amounts of, can you see prison tattoos? Um, I avoided the prison tattoos and I avoided the hepatitis uh, that comes with them, Steve. Um, okay, so Doug says he turned his phone sideways and the sound came. I don't know if that's a bug problem or a... Uh, uh, or a phone problem, Doug. That I don't know. Um, so the oil production, right? So they, they don't have refinery capacity. This is not a Republican problem or a Democrat problem. Um, this is an American problem because we have not built our refinery capacity up like we should have over the years. And now, 20 years on, no one's going to want to do that. And why is that? Well, some people talked about peak oil and they used to think we were going to run out of oil, you know, the peak amount of oil in the ground. But really what's going to happen is we're hitting peak consumption in the next number of years here. And if you can imagine, we've limped along with refinery capacity for years. 
So do we need more refinery capacity if we're going to be coming off of fossil fuels in the next 20 years, 30 years? The answer is we probably could use some now. But if it's your $10 billion that's going to get tied up in the project, you might be a little nervous about it. Um, so I just don't see it as likely to get investors, except for maybe a government to do it, and we'll never get the U.S. government to do it. And again, I like to poke the Republicans sometimes on this because look at DeSantis. Republican died to the wool, right? He'd be the first guy you'd think would be all about, let's solve the energy problem. What did he do? He quashed any drilling off the coast of Florida. Everybody's okay with drilling in Alaska because I don't think any of us go there, right? But we all go to Florida. So none of us want to see oil wells down in Florida. Um, I think that's the issue. I think people don't want to have oil drilling down in Florida. And so DeSantis, as a Republican in Florida, can be anti-drilling. And everybody's happy with that. Um, but somehow when Biden is anti-drilling and he's the president, uh, nobody's happy with that except for maybe the environmentalists, um, maybe the electric car guys. Uh, so again, give me a call, 717-906-5319. Uh, 717-906-5319. Uh, and we'll get, try to get your question on the air here. Uh, but I wanted to just talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. So you're going to have to direct the conversation here. Um, so shoot me a comment, if you would, about what you want to hear about. Um, they come through. So, so let me explain the technology here just a little bit, give you a little inside baseball. Uh, I'm on Facebook, but apparently I'm also being streamed to YouTube and to Twitter as well through something called Restream. And they aggregate the comments. So I, over here on my right, I can see the comments coming down the screen. Um, over here on my left, I have some editorial control if I want to move my mouse around. Um, you know, so I can do some spiffy things with these uh, captions, uh, which was probably the caption I should have had up earlier, like, why does diesel cost so much? Uh, but I prefer to leave that phone number up for you, 717-906-5319. Again, I don't know if anybody wants to call or not. This is not normal technology. Now, phase two of the iteration of what we're doing here is I would like to get or will be getting um, a Zoom add-on so I will actually be able to take a video call or do video chats. Uh, and what I'd like to do is set people up in advance so you can come on. Ah, Diana has a question. Can the PA government, governor or government control abortion all by himself? So the governor control abortion. Ah, yes and no. Wolf tried to do some things with COVID under the emergency health laws. And as you know, his power was tested uh, for some time that was upheld, and then towards the end, it seems to be taken away. I don't think the governor of Pennsylvania by himself can outlaw abortion or can, can with a stroke of a pen, effectively cut it off completely. That's going to take a legislative act. I don't think the courts would allow that. Um, I don't think that's in the purview of the executive power. But practically, because he controls uh, the apparatus of the government, uh, Diana, I think what the governor could do is make it very difficult on doctors and licensing and, and put the word down that, uh, you know, inspections will be up and these sorts of things. So I don't think the Pennsylvania governor has stroke of the pen power on abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned, which it looks like it will be. Um, ads about Mastriano are misleading. Uh, yes and no. I would agree that it's misleading that, that he can just 
kill abortion, no pun intended. Um, on the other hand, if the legislature can pass something and it appears to be Republican controlled, uh, he will definitely sign it and he will push for it. So depending on which ad you're talking about, I don't think Mastriano alone with a stroke of a pen can do it. But given the current legislative makeup, so it's it's misleading if it would lead you to believe that he could by executive order successfully do that. Um, on the other hand, um, and this is where it gets interesting, right? If the U.S. Supreme Court says that abortion is off the table um, from federal court intervention and it's a state law issue, uh, you know the Democrats have wrapped up, Diana, you know the Democrats have wrapped up the Pennsylvania Supreme Court for a number of years. Uh, so the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, just the same way they weighed in on redistricting to the benefit of the Democrats a few years ago, uh, could probably do the same. Uh, by the way, as you guys know, I don't have my law license currently, so you know, any legal questions I answer are subject to to that caveat. Uh, and obviously, I'm not acting as anybody's lawyer here. But I, I like the joke, you know, your advice is worth what you pay for it, and here it's free. Um, but yeah, I, I think I have a pretty good grip on the interplay. Now, I do think the abortion decision is going to be historic. Um, it overturns precedent, and courts aren't supposed to be legislating and precedent is supposed to be precious. Um, but on the other hand, if precedent always prevailed, then Plessy v. Ferguson would have never been overturned by Brown v. Board of Education. On the other hand, now that we're going back and turning over old precedents, uh, maybe we're going to reconsider Brown v. Board of Education. Uh, I don't know. Um, and that's one of my arguments is that if things are state law issues and you leave things to the state, well, states historically have allowed all kinds of discrimination. Um, and I'm not saying abortion falls in that realm. Uh, so, so thanks, Diana. It was a good question. And uh, personally, I don't think Mastriano is electable. I think he's too conservative for Pennsylvania. Uh, maybe not too conservative for you guys. Uh, maybe not conservative enough for me. Uh, uh, but he doesn't run to the middle. And I've said this before on Facebook, and I'll say it again. Um, if you want to win a statewide election in Pennsylvania, you have to be somewhere in the middle, okay? So remember Tom Ridge? He was controversial because he was a Republican who leaned pro-choice. And you remember Casey, who got in all kinds of trouble with the Democratic Party because he was a statewide Democrat who was pro-life. That is Pennsylvania politics historically. Uh, will that remain the case? I don't know. But that's what I think Mastriano is going up against. He's going up against the fact that in a lot of the state, he doesn't play as well as he might here in central Pennsylvania or certain other areas of the state, if that makes sense. So... If, if that's some guidance there. Uh, I don't know what else you got. You know, sh shoot me some questions, throw me some comments. Uh, you know, somebody want to see prison tattoos. Uh, I could tell you some prison stories, but I don't want to waste your time with prison stories. Uh, I do have a book I'm working on and some other materials. Uh, I can tell you, you know, our, and I, I talked to Art Selby the other day, and you probably heard that maybe on WHP 580. And those podcasts are still available. You can find the links on the Carl Rominger show page. Uh, 
our prison system's broken. In fact, pretty much everything our government does is broken. And I, I mean, not literally, but pretty much literally. Uh, there's not a lot you can trust in government right now. Uh, in fact, that's becoming an issue. We've lost trust or faith in our government. So somebody posted today like, hey, you're just going to get on here and talk about stuff, you know, like Ken Matthews does or one of these other guys. And he's like, we need action. We need somebody to do something. Uh, so let's see if we can make this work here. Josh. All right. You on, you're on. Uh, I made it on this time. You made it on. You're, uh, you're live on the air, so I think we can hear you. So I've got to turn the volume up, but go ahead. Congratulations on your program. Well, thank you very much. Who have I got? What's your name? Bob, Ted, Jim? I'm Josh. Hey, Josh. How are you doing? Not too bad. All right. What do you want to talk about? Uh, there's a lot of issues. I think you covered a lot of them already, but I mean, we can get back to the the issue of the day is the, the fuel prices, I think. Yeah. And uh, the one thing about that, I mean, we can see that the, the production numbers are a little bit uh, in conflict with the supply and demand, which you mentioned because of the uh, the refineries potentially as the issue. But I see it as a different issue. I see it as it's more of a – because the people that control the price of the fuel also are the same people that have advanced uh, – a stake in seeing that new electric vehicles make it to the marketplace right. at this hundred thousand dollar car price level. So um, I think it's a it's a ploy more or less, or a force force of a hand to try to to gain those car sales where they wouldn't at a dollar fifty or two dollars a gallon gas they wouldn't have uh, such an incentive to buy an electric vehicle. Now I can't disagree that. The current market conditions suggest electric vehicles uh, could have a leg up. And I'm, I'm never a big believer in grand conspiracies. Uh, but on the other hand, I am a big believer in people in power taking advantage of opportunities when they see them. Um, and there is definitely, there's the ESG, you know, because I say ESG and a couple of my listeners will go crazy because they're sure ESG is a... Uh, uh, a way of controlling the world. And I've listened to people on the left who feel like ESG is a way for bankers to get away with funding, say, Exxon, and claiming Exxon's environmentally fun, uh, uh, fundamentally sound. And I find that interesting because uh, <laughs> uh, both sides seem to have some suspicions, but I think both sides are onto something. Uh, ESG muddles things. Uh, what you're talking about, again, like high fuel costs, sure. Is the Biden administration bending over backwards to solve the problem? No, absolutely not. It's not fundamentally where he wants to be or his supporters want to be. Um, so, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Uh, so, I mean, let's go ahead a little bit more into the, the fuel side of things. I mean, we talked some on some chats and stuff like that and a little bit of background, but Fuel is really there um, for the, uh, uh, the the fuel, the trains, airplanes, the bigger vehicles, right. the transportation industry that's working on, um, you know, moving with diesel. I mean, that's, that's really what everybody wants to have in the out of the petroleum industry. 
when we have the, the gasoline as a, a byproduct of those, mm-hmm. those uh, top level products. So, so now, okay. yeah, no, so I, I, the way I understand it, we have a limited amount of refinery capacity. So they will make what pays the most money at the moment, if that makes sense. Um, and so uh, there's a guy here in Carlisle, we used to call him British Bob, because uh, he's British and his name's Bob, right? And, and British Bob is in the petroleum distillate industry selling um, cleaners and solvents. And he used to tell us that, you know, they only get so much production out of the uh, refineries for the products they need, these very light grade oils and, and solvents. Um, but that they can control the quantities and, and direct the flow. So you're right. The refineries can push certain products over certain other products. Um, my big concern is we've allowed refinery capacity to get down to the point where it's concentrated in the hands of a few big players uh, because it's capital intensive, it's environmentally sensitive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've allowed places to go out of business partly through ethanol mandates is one of the reasons that's really strained some of the smaller producers over the years. Uh, and now you're right. What fuels are made are controlled by very few people. And if they have a particular agenda, um, although I find it hard to believe that the petroleum industry as a whole is trying to accomplish getting rid of petroleum in and of itself, right? Um, they're just redirecting the flows where it goes, but go ahead. Yeah. Petroleum will always be, uh, Necessity um, and, and many different fronts, and and I mean lubrication and another you know side of it. And, I mean your car's not going to run very long without clean oil. Everything that we know in society kind of revolves around that oil. But if we look at what's what's happening directly, if you have ten dollar a gallon diesel fuel, and last mm-hmm. month we have five dollar gallon diesel fuel, so you're going to have an instantaneous you know doubling of uh, the what it costs to produce goods and transport them. Yeah. So that cost is going to directly go to the consumer, regardless of uh, what we, we think the industry, you know, should be doing. You know what I mean? Correct. Like we're going to see or what we can predict to see on the ground that this type of inflation, I'll call it inflationary uh, encroachment, that we're going to have um, on the ground, you know, real life experiences here shortly for everybody. Correct. We, and, and I think right now, um, okay, a modern truck, right, gets six miles to the gallon of diesel, something like that. Um, I think the official figures are something between 4.5 and 8, let's say, but the average is about six. So once diesel gets to five or six dollars a gallon, you're basically at a dollar a mile in diesel cost. Um, which is a doubling in the cost. Now, if you look at what trucking companies charge by the mile to move freight, right? A lot of times the spot market rates are going to be $2.85 to say $3.45 for typical freight movement. Um, and maybe I'm getting in the weeds here, right? But what you're talking about is a huge increase in the cost per mile to move freight when, when, when fuel costs move up that much. Um, right. So it, it's dependent on the, the, the supplier or the, the Uber or the shipper. You know, they have to have a business model and they have to, you know, stay in business. And they're, so, being a year, I was forced to make a decision on how much fuel, 
how it's conduct my business and set my prices accordingly. Right. Well, they have to do the same thing, but they have to do it on a weekly basis. Well, I mean, and and we can see changes happen much quicker because the corporation happens and operates much quicker than the government makes. Correct. Now, Doug, there is an interesting overlay in this. Okay, the big trucking companies, you know, the guys with a thousand trucks, a lot of them buy their fuel in in hedge situations. So some of them are okay still. So some of the freight can continue to move at rates uh, that are more reasonable because they've already locked in their fuel prices. The same way back when oil had crashed, some of the frackers had locked in $50 a barrel. So even though you know the market was paying 20 or even went negative briefly, they were still getting their $50 a barrel. Now, of course, the people that were locked into $50 hedges feel like idiots right now, unless you're the carrier who's on that hedge. Uh, but uh, I don't want to go too CNBC here, you know, we, we get into the weeds on this. But you're right. We're looking at potentially inflationary supply shocks rippling, rippling up through the economy. Um, and part of that is the labor market is so tight um, that businesses not only are struggling on fuel costs, but they're struggling on labor costs. So when you get the trucking industry is just a perfect storm because fuel and labor are the two, two of the greatest costs of transportation. Um, and both of those are as high as they've ever been. And all indicators are there's not going to be any flexing in the, in the, um, in the uh, labor costs anytime soon. The, the labor, the labor industry is kind of, um, also dependent directly on the fuel situation, but it's mm -hmm. also dependent on the mentality of the, the business owner, because if the business owner can understand what quantitative easing has done over time. It can also understand that it's valuable. The value of its services should proportionally go up to yeah. that increased supply and circulatory uh, circulation of currency. Well, right, and and as soon as, the, as soon as the business owner can say, "Oh, well, it's twice as expensive for me now this week. I need to pass that along to the customer." But the problem comes in whenever the customers, which you know, ten percent of the people are probably doing like ninety percent of the work for you know, so. Mm -hmm. There's a number of customers that are older and out in fixed income that aren't going to be able to meet the demand unless the U.S. government was able to adjust the Social Security right. in proportion to the fuel. Right, right. And, and so let's just talk about inflation for a second, okay? Uh, throwing more dollars out there, certainly quantum easing, all that creates inflationary pressures. But inflation itself comes from the concept that everybody's always trying to get a little bit more, right? Um, if I could charge a little bit more, and then eventually one of my suppliers realizes I can afford a little bit more, and, and it, it feeds like a cycle. So they try to keep, I say they, meaning the powers that be, inflation at a, at a low level. You don't want zero inflation. You don't want deflation. Um, you always want people kind of struggling to make a little bit more, grab a little bit more. Um, but as that spiral starts to go, if, if I know, for instance, that my employees are all making more, people on the street are making more. So you're right. The people on the fixed incomes are the ones who get pinched because they don't have the ability to go get their, their wage adjusted, right? They can't say, I'm quitting this warehouse and walk across the street because they pay two more dollars an hour. Um, you know, Carlisle, Pennsylvania has the most expensive uh, warehousing labor market in the country right now. Um, well, that's also because it has the best highway in the country. Yeah. Right next to it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've built it and we built out this wonderful warehousing district out here. I'm actually sitting in the warehousing district right now, by the way. I'm on Allen Road talking to you. So, so, uh, uh, and, and I know some things from what I'm, what I'm doing for a job these days in the transportation industry and, and, and looking around at what's going on. And I can't believe, you know, I went on my little vacation, right? And, and I come out and I'm trying to figure out what things are supposed to cost. And (laughs) well, keep this in mind, right? I, I, 2016 is the last time I go shopping. The next time I go shopping and it's uh, 2021, right? And the end of 2021 and it's day and night because the pandemic's basically over. Inflation's just starting to really kick in. Uh, It's really kicked in now, right? Uh, Which is further confusion. I still couldn't tell you what a good price is on anything because it, it's been moving so rapidly. Uh, I literally have this uh, this game I play, which is to fill my gas tank uh, before uh, uh, it goes up, right? So that means every day when I drive past the sheets, I figure I better stop and put a dollar fifty worth of gas in um, because it's about to go up again. Um, it's almost like the dollar cost averaging, you know, with the investment strategy. I'm on the opposite side of that, so. Uh, uh, so, so Doug, what do you think the solution is right now? Oh, I don't, I think as a business owner, we all just need to say, oh, everything costs 10 times as much. And then, then the gut, then we can afford to pay our taxes and keep our employees uh-huh. paid. You know what I mean? Because that's what the government did to us. We had to do the same thing they did to us. Uh, you know, we had to do it in turn. So if they're going to double or triple the prices of fuel over two or three year period of time, then we would have to. Uh, automatically triple the price of them if we're a landlord triple the price of rent mm-hmm. uh, to keep up because the price of tires and everything else associated with vehicles moving everything is you know is all linked together uh once it comes to value so if you could somehow trade without using the dollar through facebook and the marketplace and somebody is wanting to trade so many peppers for a new set of tires or whatever then you could do that you know what i mean but how do you how do you do it um Without having the dollar keep up the economy, right, right. Well, now, and that's not up to us. That's up to that's up to the Federal Reserve, and they're and they're just not doing their job. Well, and and what the Reserve is going to do now is they're going to use the only blunt weapon they have, right? Raise interest rates, um, right. and and risk a recession. Uh, that's that's the real risk. Um, look at the housing market already. Uh, mortgage rates are falling, and I think mortgage rates, number of mortgages being taken out are falling rapidly as the interest rate has gone up. Um, the affordability of housing is tied directly to your monthly payment as opposed to the actual price of the house, right? Uh, so it looks like real estate's going to stall. If it stalls too much, then people will get stuck. Um, that decreases mobility. I mean, there's just so many problems that can, can blossom out of this and that can spiral. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'd be, you know, so we, we could be on the real estate front. We could be on a, a small uh, a bubble kind of um, on the real estate prices. Correct. Do you think that the real estate prices are going up because, and not just recently seen the fuel thing, but it, if the fuel prices do go up, then you know maybe real estate will elevate value because you know if the speed of money increases, right? Flow of money increases at the local level. Then there's all those things can happen, like the Federal Reserve is designed to, to function. 
Right. If there's any type of stopping of flow of money, then that's what's going to hurt the economy. So, so, so Doug, when you when you talk about the speed of money for people who who are joining us, this is the, the Carl Rominger show. Taking your call seven one seven nine zero six five three one nine. Uh, Doug's talking about the speed of money. He's talking about what we call the velocity of money. And so if I take a dollar bill down to the North Hanover Grill and buy some chicken wings with that dollar bill, and then Chris, the owner down there, takes that somewhere and, and buys uh, the wings themselves from somebody or, or the Diet Pepsi that I drank, or, or he pays his waitress with it, who then takes it to another local place. It's the number of times that $1 turns over. So if somebody starts hanging on to that dollar and putting it in a savings account, contrary to what your mother told you, if you know saving is good, but if everybody holds on to their dollar, the velocity slows and that dollar turns over less often. So that dollar can be, and I think Doug, your point is that dollar can represent 20 business transactions in a time period, or it could represent three business transactions in a time period. But as it slows down, um, the economy gets worse because that dollar is not turning over and moving with velocity. It's up to the it's up to the people. Like I mean, it works it, it works good in a poverty situation because in a poverty situation, not as many people have an abundance of money to save, so they need to spend it as fast as they get it. So in that situation, the speed of money can actually increase and it work out for the Federal Reserve. You know, so we can see based on the basically the number of transactions and the total number of vol the volume that we're going to have, even in the fuel sector, how much fuel, so these prices have gone up, but right. what has the total consumption done since the prices have gone up? You know, is that going to actually slow, is the price going to slow the economy? You know, right. and, and fuel's a great indicator, especially, I mean, wait till we go EV, then it's going to be difficult to tell. It's going to be difficult to analyze the economy right. once we are EV. Right, right, right. Well, and, and they're going to have to rework this whole liquid fuel tax concept, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, but I'm going to let you go because I want to, I want to talk to a different Doug here briefly. Uh, and talk about a concern yep. he has. I appreciate you're my first caller. So like my first dollar yep. bill, we'll replay this later. Okay. Um, Congratulations on your program. Hey, yep. thanks. Hey, listen, it's, it's just something to do. I'm hoping that we can get a dialogue going, a discussion going. I want to get more in depth. Um, so I want to spend some more time. You know, I went through this little thing on the cost of oil uh, because I wanted to illustrate to folks that it's just not as simple as drill and prices change because we're drilling more oil than we were back then. Price per barrel is cheaper, yet somehow the actual end price of diesel is higher. So there has to be more to this story than drilling, right? Now, we can argue about what the whole story is, but. Well, well, maybe because it takes so much fuel to get the fuel you know, into the truck, and then the, the truck has to take so much to get it to its the final destination. I mean, the whole mechanism is derivative of fuel. Correct, I mean, as is most of your farming. I mean. Shipping goes up. By twice, then the product itself will go up. But yeah, it's just it kind of gets complicated. But yeah, it, yeah. there's variables that people need to look at because it affects your 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 grocery bill. It affects your grocery <laughs> bill. It affects all your all your living, and and it doesn't lend itself to simple soundbite solutions. Um, you know, a lot of things people can do. So, for instance, uh, just the act of conservation, right? You don't have to be a crazy uh, uh, green, you know, and, and live like a hippie in a teepee somewhere, um, but choosing a car that gets 25 miles to the gallon over one that gets 20 miles to the gallon over time if enough people do that that does shape markets uh, absolutely so all right doug thank you very much thank you all right boss 
uh, 717-960-5319, call in if you want. Uh, Doug uh, has a chat up here, different Doug. Uh, why do people say abortion law can't be, and he's got can't be in quotes and capitalized to emphasize, overturned, yet most normal people were pretty happy when laws pertaining to owning slaves were overturned or prohibition was put in place and then overturned. SCOTUS isn't banning abortions, they're just saying it's a state issue. And uh, rightfully so, not a federally constitutionally protected right. Doug, uh, you know, it depends on where you come down on that equation. And I think the abortion one is a great example of how do you phrase the question. So if you say, should states be allowed to ban abortion even when the life of the mother is at risk? People will say, no, states should not be allowed to ban that. And they see that as something that could be federally protected. If you say, should states be allowed to allow irresponsible inner city women to have abortions in the ninth and a half month, everybody's like, well, no, states should be allowed to prohibit that and the federal government should stay out of that. And, and I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but it is a great push question. Uh, you can get a poll in the abortion arena to pretty much say what you want it to say by how you phrase the abortion question. Um, which is really, to me, the nuance of the issue. Um, could you trust the states? Well, a couple of the states, uh, the guy running for Senate down in Georgia, uh, the football player has said, no exceptions, life of the mother, doesn't matter, rape, incest, whatever. Um, would that fly? And if a state chose to do that, is it a state issue at that point? And, you know, there, somebody's going to try that. So we'll find out. So maybe the answer is the federal constitution kicks in at some point. On the other hand, there's no federal right to experimental drugs. The U.S. Supreme Court said state can uh, uh, say no to, uh, you know, even though you're dying and you want to try cancer drug, no. But if you want to strap two skis onto your feet and go down the hill at 48 miles an hour and see if what happens when you hit your head, that's, you're allowed to, you know. So states have a lot of broad authority. Um, and I, I, Doug, you're saying abortion is not health care. Um, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and I don't disagree with you, but I like to punt on this issue and say, I'm not a woman, right? So I don't get to have this. I don't get stuck in the position of, let's say the accidental pregnancy, um, or something like that. And then say, oh, this is my choice or not my choice. I, I, I don't ever have to decide that. Um, and so I'm not certain, you know, obviously like anything else in life, there's going to be people that do things for not a good reason. And there's going to be people who have uh, very strong reasons. There's even an argument that certain people in certain portions of the Jewish religion have uh, reasons why they would have an abortion, uh, which I don't completely understand. Uh, but that's the interesting question, the li religious liberty, for instance, my religion requires an abortion in this circumstance. Um, Cindy wants to know, PPL electric rates, ugh, we have not made a switch for fear of hidden layered fees and fine print, maybe not talking point, but just wanted to vent. Yeah, well, I feel you. Um, back in the days up the states and some across state lines, just like individual drinking age. Diana, I understand that. Um, imagine you're a 17-year-old woman and you live in Texas and all the surrounding states don't allow abortions. Uh, if you've ever been to Texas, you can literally drive 300 miles into it. Um, 
So where I grew up in uh, Western New York, you could cross the state line simply driving to Erie, Pennsylvania, 30 miles. Um, here in Carlisle, we can get in the car and drive south and go to two different states. Um, so it's easy on the East Coast in some places to suggest that people can just go to other states. The reality is it's not that simple. Um, so, you know, but yeah, what's going to happen is people with money, you know, wealthier people will always have their choice because they'll simply be able to go to whatever state they need to. Um, poor women, pe people who might not be in the best position to raise a child for whatever reason will be the ones who have least choice and not advocating that one way or the other. Uh, but I am suggesting that it does change the economic picture. And, you know, one of the things I keep hearing uh, on the whole guns right issue, um, one of the things I keep hearing on the gun rights issue is, hey, we need better fathers. If we had better fathers, this stuff wouldn't be happening. My joke is, well, where are you airdropping all these fathers in from? Well, it's the same thing with abortion. Um, if you cut off abortion to certain socioeconomic uh, segments of our society and force children to be born into those conditions, we're already not taking care of the children born into those conditions, let alone more children born into those conditions. And like I told a friend today, you can say all you want that parents should do a better job, right? But schools have to do things like remind parents not to send the kids in shorts in January. Schools have to feed breakfast to kids because parents don't feed breakfast to kids. It's easy to moralize, right? But that doesn't help that kid. So I can sit here in Carlisle and say that, that bad mom in Pittsburgh or that bad mom in Newville or that bad mom in Carlisle or those bad dads wherever need to do a better job. But that doesn't do anything for the kid whose parents, A, can't hear me, and B, aren't going to do a better job because I'm here tonight telling them to do a better job. Uh, so there is some concern uh, that there will be more children born into situations, including poverty, uh, where they're not being adequately cared for. And, and adoption is an option. There are a lot of options. Um, but again, we're going to have more social issues to deal with and we don't seem to be doing a good job with that right now. And where do these school shooters come from? So I hear all kinds of theories, video games, this and that. Um, I blame it on a broken mental health system that isn't prepared to do what it needs to do. Uh, we haven't done that. Uh, we haven't built out our mental health system to where we need to build it out. And I'm not sure if we ever will. Um, that's a grave concern of mine. Uh, let's see. Don Stevens says, ironically, people supporting pro-life are the same ones worried about white replacement. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that the two groups overlap completely, Don, but in a Venn diagram, there's going to be some overlap there. Um, this whole replacement theory thing, you know, oh, they're bringing in illegals. Uh, listen, I don't think the QAnon crowd is really following me, okay? I mean, I'm not completely convinced. Uh, but I don't think the QAnon uh, uh, crowd really likes what I have to say. But there is no great replacement of white people. There was this horrible replacement. You know, they let Catholics from Ireland and Italy into America. Now they're letting Catholics from you know Latin American countries into the uh, and 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 
we can talk about illegal immigration at the border. I'm talking just about the whole concept of immigration in general. Uh, Stephen Miller well, was the extreme racist who worked for President Trump. And I liked a lot of things Trump did. I think he surrounded himself with some idiots. And I think one of the idiots that cost Trump the election was Stephen Miller. I think if Stephen Miller had not come from Jeff Sessions to Donald Trump um, and latched on like a tick, Donald Trump would still be president. So, you know, if you like Stephen Miller, great. But uh, I'm telling you, that man is a nut and he had a lot of weird ideas about immigration. And unfortunately, they've sort of spread. Um, so, yeah, I don't think uh, Jerry says I'm talking too fast. I got to let the captions catch up. Yeah, I might need to pace the words a little more. Um, I'll have to get rhythm going. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because I don't know. You know, I'm trying to talk loudly because I'm in this room by myself staring at a, a cell phone that's in front of a screen, which is center. It's a long story. I should t I'll take a clip of this setup for you guys uh, so you can see what it looks like after the show and post it. Um, it's completely insane. Uh, but getting the rhythm right, yeah, perfect. Um, let's see. So it's interesting to see so many topics never go. We just change and come back. That's Diana. Diana, certain topics. Um, so, so abortion is interesting because it involves life and death, right? And it involves, um, you know, well, why should abortion be allowed? Why shouldn't abortion be allowed? Um, both sides have extremely emotional arguments. As I said earlier, it's a push and pull issue. School shootings. Um, I laugh every time somebody says, not about school shootings, but every time somebody says it's too soon to talk about it. You know, we have to have thoughts and prayers. Um, yeah. Okay. It's nine years and 10 months post Sandy Hook or something like that. So should we just talk? Let's just stick to Sandy Hook. Um, I'm a gun guy. I'm a Second Amendment uh, advocate. Um, but I'm being increasingly convinced that reasonable restrictions of some sorts might make more sense. Um, <laughs> metronome, yeah. I, you know, I could watch the cursor blinking over here, Diana. That might help. Um, <sighs> Someone wants to know, what will it take for me to practice law again? Well, probably a friggin' miracle. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, I've got to pay back the restitution and working on that. Uh, you know, I make the payments on a monthly basis and as hopefully more money becomes available, the payments will become larger. Um, it's funny. I told the federal guys, I said, you know, I'm going to make sure I adjust the state. As my income goes up, I'm going to run down to the state and make sure they adjust it first. Because I think the, you know, not that I can pick my victims, but I would rather pay off the individuals before the IRS if I, if I had any say in it. Um, and, and trust me, we get on the whole criminal justice system at some point. But what will it take for me to practice law again? Um, you know, two things. I have to pay off the restitution and I have to convince the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania because the governor's board... The board of law examiners will say no because they always say no to guys like me. And then if your like, name is Ernie Preate or, you know, the right things happen, you can get back in. And occasionally they'll, they'll let a guy like me back in as well. Um, but it becomes more of a political question at that point. Um, but as I told Art the other day, uh, whatever I'm doing that allows me to make that much money, 
uh, I'm probably going to want to keep going at that point, right? Uh, if that makes sense. By the way, I'm drinking a little C4 here. They're not an official sponsor yet. But if they want to send me free cans, I can certainly make them a sponsor. Um, BlackRock is petroleum, Twitter, and 5% Tesla. What are you trying to say, Josh? Clarify that for me a little bit. Um, BlackRock is a big friggin' pile of money, right? Um, that we know. What else you guys want to talk about? Uh, we're coming up, you know, we're about 50 minutes into this little adventure. Uh, in the future, I guess, yeah, I'm going to try to build out some topics ahead of time, have a few more of these little um, uh, pieces like I had with the beginning where I showed U.S. oil production and a couple figures to kind of boot conversation off. Um, and I want to get it with a Zoom hook on or add on here uh, where you're going to be able to come on on video. Uh, and here's the schedule that we're thinking about here, all right? Wednesdays, Sundays, Wednesdays, Sundays, 8 o'clock. Um, how to pick that time? Well, uh, it just sort of works because that way I can do an honest day's work and still have time to jump on here, okay? Um, I also want to start a third day a week. Uh, we're going to call it Keeping It Local, where we'll talk about some local topic, you know. Um, LG in the Carlisle swimming pool, backed up uh, sewer system in North Middleton, um, Harrisburg regatta, you know, turned upside down, whatever the case may be. Uh, that, that's where I'm going to try to take off from the Bob Durgan show a little bit and talk about or try to empower some local issues uh, for resolution. And if you want to be a guest on the show, let me know. Uh, because I'm always interested in Brown. If somebody wants to talk about a certain expertise they have, a business uh, that they want to discuss, um, something like that, I'm happy to, to to book some guests as well. So, you know, we can kind of go over some things or even um, pre-record a segment for you. Um, I see Josh is saying there's incentive for them to elevate petroleum monopoly. Antitrust should be considered. Yeah. Well, listen, the original antitrust lawsuit involved petroleum, right? So would it be surprising that, that there's trust trust issues with petroleum? Um, no, there's a double entendre there, not Josh. Um, but I would, I would tell you, again, fuel costs are partly related to the pandemic. Now, what's driving them is people are refusing to change um, their habits, uh, that's number one. Number two, big oil is refusing to turn on the spigots, whether it be OPEC or the producers. Uh, they've got a new game in Wall Street. It's called, it's called we're making a lot of cash right now and the return on our capital is great, so we're not going to um, turn on all these wells. But they are drilling, they are drilling. Um, and yes, Sean, we will we will make more local. Uh, in fact, maybe we could probably schedule you as a guest, Sean, to uh, really keep it local. Um, and we can talk about uh, some of my favorite issues. Uh, I do quite a bit of walking in Carlisle these days, so I see a lot going on. They're building these really interesting French drains, and they're going to be connecting 74 through the town. And I was trying to explain to my son how the traffic patterns will change, and he asked me if we could find something more interesting to talk about, but maybe we can talk about that on here. Uh, Russia and the gold standard, Josh, uh, 
Listen, the whole Ukraine thing is a problem, right? What's going on in Ukraine right now is going to affect food prices, and we're already in inflationary pressures. Uh, we need to wrap this thing up. And I've said this before. Why is the U.S. involved over there? We're involved over there because it's strategic. It's to push back on Putin. It's to send a message to the Chinese, and it's to keep the breadbasket of the world available to us, right? Uh, we don't spend dollars just willy-nilly everywhere, contrary to popular belief. Uh, when we do spend big dollars, you can find some back-end interests on it. Sometimes the interest of the commonweal or the commonwealth, everybody, and sometimes the interest of big American businesses. Uh, you know, George Carlin said, you know, they own us, right? Big business owns the government. They own us. They've bought it. They've paid for it. And, and you see that in the things we do. Um, so there's always business interest. But when it comes to the food supply, listen, uh, look what happened with baby food. There isn't even baby food shortage in the sense that there's no baby food. It's that we went from a 10% out of stock rate, which was normal, to a 21 to 25% out of stock rate, which is not normal. Okay. So the out of stock rate isn't, is basically double, but it still means that 75% of the time when you go to the store, they have the baby formula. And we are freaking out it's babies right that's abortion it's babies they're important it, it draws interest um the idea of a child starving to death um it involves breastfeeding that just brings in you know more interest uh but we are freaking out and we're not even out of it we're not even out of half of it we've just doubled or tripled the regular shortage of the 10 percent has gone to 25 percent two and a half times as many times that you can't find it when you go look for it on the shelf and it's acute in some areas that has caused us to freak out imagine if you went to the store and they didn't have bread and milk 25 percent of the time um that only happens in pennsylvania here when there's going to be a snowstorm and everybody runs to the market and buys bread and milk, particularly so that if their electricity goes out, their milk will no longer be good and the bread will only last a few days. But as you know, our grocery stores get hammered with bread and milk and, and it's like a little mini crisis. Imagine if on a regular Tuesday you went to the store and we've seen some of this with pandemic era, right? Where stuff's missing or they don't have it. But imagine a persistent shortage of staples. Our government's simply not going to let that happen if they can avoid it. That's part of my theory on why we're in Ukraine. Um, that's that's part of my theory. Uh, now, my buddy Marshall uh, has some other theories on what's going on. Uh, I was kind of hoping he might jump on here. Um, does Ukraine bankers and Burisma affect oil prices in the USA? Not really. Not really. Um, this whole Ukraine, you know, Biden scandal connection thing doesn't really concern me or impress me. Um, Burisma is a big energy company over there. To the extent that this war is disrupting the flow of oil around the world, it does affect us. Um, but nobody sitting in a Ukrainian uh, uh, bank somewhere can make or break us. Uh, and I don't buy into this whole concept that we're only over there because of some connection to some fascist thing. 
Um, I see it as quite simply, this was the third time Putin decided to seize something. And we were going to play it real coy and let him take it by supporting the Ukrainians. And then they were going to lose in a couple of weeks. But instead, it turned out that the Russian army is a bunch of hacks. Okay. Turned out they're no good at their job. And the Ukrainians performed particularly well. And that changed the narrative because we couldn't let them lose at that point. And so I think Ukraine won their own reprieve, if that makes sense, and their own support. And now we're really, you know, doubling down on it. We're sending missiles over that have the capability to hit inside Russia. That's a big freaking deal. Now, we've said that we've been assured they won't use them for that. Now, people make a lot of assurances, and then they do what they want to do, particularly when they're at war. Um, so I think we're sending them over uh, eyes wide open. And again, I really feel this is a message for China. Uh, we're doubling down on Taiwan, and there is a big move. By the way, all, all, all the people out there who, who hit me up and say, oh, why are you for military adventurism and you're a neocon? And I'm like, you know, we have 700 military bases around the world. We have military bases everywhere. We have more people in Spain than we did in Afghanistan. And everybody's like, oh, we got to get out of Afghanistan. It costs so much money. We have 5,000 freaking guys in Afghanistan. We hadn't had any problems in a couple of years. We had control of that country. We had a great base there. We had great force projection. I disagree with Trump. I disagree with Biden. Biden poorly executed Trump's early exit, okay? Blame them both. Um, we should still be there projecting power. And that was one of the moves that said to Putin that the United States wanted to draw off the world stage. And some of my friends who want to go back on the silver standard and hoard silver and gold in the Midwest, uh, uh, like that election, like 140 years ago or whatever it is now, um, you know, you sent a message, Republicans and Democrats, when they both agreed that the U.S. needed to come off the world stage, that we're tired of using blood and treasure uh, on the world stage. That was one of the things that Putin heard loud and clear. And that's what we're trying to clear up with China now and let China know um, that maybe didn't really mean it when we said that. We didn't just say it, we did it. So now we've got to do something else. And I think supporting the Ukraine is a way of saying that. Now, we could go down the whole road of what the Biden administration is screwing up with China. In fact, that sounds like a great topic for another show uh, because there's so much there. I had great criticism of some of the things Trump did with China. Um, but one of the things I think the Biden administration has got right is just to send this message on Taiwan. Then, of course, they muddled it by trying to walk it back and sending the message to Xi that maybe not everybody's on the same page. Um, so that's a concern, too. Uh, I'm not completely convinced that the Biden White House uh, knows what it wants to do all the time. And I'm not completely convinced that it's 100% there. I'm not that worried about it. Um, I don't think the government is run by the president in the sense that everyone thinks it is. Um, and why I laugh about that is a lot of you say, you know, well, Trump this and Trump that, but he couldn't do this because, well, that's right. He couldn't do this because the machinations of government are such that the president's power is much more limited than we realize. Um, but in practicality, if we read the constitution, uh, his, pre his power is limited, which reminds me of a topic I want to talk about tonight before, before we wrap the show up because um, I'm not going to go too much longer. But I want to talk about something that's important. And it's this internet censorship thing. Uh, 
Uh, Texas and Florida are both trying to pass laws that the courts have blocked so far to allow for the internet to be controlled by the state to say, hey, you can't um, take down certain content. Uh, Texas was saying to them, you can't regulate or suppress certain viewpoints. Uh, what has happened to my Republican friends? I'm a Republican, okay? I'm a free market Republican. I'm a capitalist Republican, not a populist left-wing Republican, okay? So those of you who think that free speech is being interfered with by Twitter or free speech is being interfered with by Facebook, free speech is being interfered with by, you know, fill in the blank of large media company, companies cannot violate the First Amendment. The Constitution is a prohibition on government control of your speech. Government control. What do I mean by that? I mean, when Facebook takes somebody down or Twitter takes somebody down, that has nothing to do with free speech or censorship. That's what the government does. If you don't like it, join Truth Social until Donald Trump takes you down. Okay? If you don't like it, find another platform. Oh, but it's so big and it's the only one and it's a monopoly. Well, guess what? If you believe in the freedom of contract as enshrined in our constitution, the right of business to do business, then let me do business with Facebook and you do business with Facebook. Um, and if you don't want to do business with Facebook, don't come on, okay? That's the Republican ideal. You can't convince me otherwise because that's the Republican ideal. Now, if you want to say, Carl, I'm generally a Republican, but when it comes to censorship and media, I'm kind of a lefty and I believe that the government should be involved in what businesses can and can't do. And I think that the sheets, you know, somebody should have to be able to go into the sheets and look at their bulletin board and tell them that they can't take, you know, if you're going to have a bulletin board at the sheets, and somebody wants to put up the little Nazi sticker or a little crazy whatever, you've got to let them do that. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. Um, I think I should be allowed as the business owner to let some people hang stuff up and some people not. And if you don't want to shop at my business, don't shop at my business. That's the Republican ideal. So anyone that says anything different, you've lost your way. You need to re-examine your Republican moral compass. You've become the rhino that you claim to despise. Uh, and some people will say, oh, Carl, you're full of that. No, I'm not full of it. This, this is 100% true. You cannot be a free market capitalist who believes in the freedom of business to do what business does best without governmental interference and then believe that Texas or Florida should tell a business how to run itself. But hey, you probably are okay with minimum milk pricing and the state interfering with the price of milk because it protects farmers. So if that's the case, just admit you have some left-leaning tendencies, accept that and move forward in life, but don't call yourself a free market capitalist and don't call yourself a conservative Republican. Call yourself a populist Trumpite, uh, Republican with populist tendencies, uh, whatever it is you really are. Uh, maybe you need to come out 
make the transition to uh, liberal or whatever it is that would cause you to think that it's okay for a state to regulate speech under the guise of allowing forced speech. That's like telling the guy who owns the restaurant downtown that like we have uh, uh, Pride Week coming up, right? That's like telling the guy downtown he must hang up the pride flag in front of his restaurant because one of his patrons wants to fly the pride flag in front of his restaurant. If you're okay with that, then just say that's what I believe, but don't call yourself conservative Republican. Uh, Diane, do I think Republicans and Democrats have changed their values? Uh, I'm curious. I don't know if they've changed their values or if they never knew what they believed. Because I remember them claiming, with the veins popping out, that they believed in this free market idea, my Republican friends. And to hell with this, and damn the government for that. But then suddenly they've shifted but they'll deny they have, and they claim they believe this way all along. Um, and, and you know, when God was taking down the Constitution, this is what it meant. Even though ten years ago, they thought it was something else, and twenty years ago. So my favorite one on that is uh, Santa Claus. When I was a kid, they kept telling me that Santa Claus um, was replacing Christ in Christmas. Then one morning I'm watching Fox News and they're all upset because they want to take Santa Claus out of Christmas and replace him with a snowman or something because Santa Claus represents Christmas and Christmas represents Christ and they're taking religion out. And I'm like, ah, we've, we've moved, right? So it used to be Santa was replacing Jesus. Now Santa stands in for Jesus and we're replacing Santa. So that's somehow unchristian. And the other example that I used with Art the other day is the bumper music on talk radio, which we don't have here because of rights management issues and uh, what I would have to pay to make that happen, uh, was the same music that when I was a kid, my, my youth group leaders were telling me were going to cause me to go to hell. And now it's the bumper music for conservative talk radio. So, uh, Diane, do I think people have changed their viewpoints? Yes. Do I think they know that they've changed their viewpoints? No. Do I think they know why they believe what they believe? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, but that's an interesting question. And it's okay to change. We can all change. We can all get better. We can all get worse, okay? That's, that's not the issue. But acknowledge that you've changed. You know, I, I find myself, I'll give you an example, uh, on the AR-15. Um, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I'd say any regulation of a firearm whatsoever is completely insane. Um, on the other hand, I see a problem, which is if we get to a situation where firearms continue to be used maliciously and indiscriminately in our society, um, a majority might finally choose to change the freedoms that we have, which could happen at a constitutional convention, right? Almost called. Um, so I was looking at a newspaper, and I should find the clipping, but somebody found one in their wall, and it's a picture from the 30s, and it's a, it says, more kids killed, and it shows a car accident, and they showed dead girls in the street in Philadelphia, because back in the 30s in the newspaper. So I got the pictures of little angels up here. They're, they're like you know, kid pictures, and then there's the picture of them dead in the street, one under the truck and one beside the truck. And... 
they're talking about the carnage of automobiles. Because remember, in the 30s, they didn't have all the traffic control and everything was under control. Kids were being killed. And all these regime about roads and licensure, and driver's licenses and road safety flowed from that. And even though people say cars still kill people, cars don't kill people near the rate they used to. And what happened was all that death begat regulation, the carnage. So if you go back and read the articles and the old cases in the case law from that time period, they keep talking about the carnage on our highways. Um, so that's a major issue, major issue. And if we don't figure something out, then we're going to get the regulation we don't want. Um, Chuck says, when social media censors the truth to benefit effect elections, states should be able to regulate. I kind of missed the point. Okay. So you want to give the government the power to regulate social media. That's great because you like the regulation the government's putting down for the moment. But once you give the government power to regulate something and other people end up in charge than the ones you like. So let me give you an example. The Nazis had good corporate citizens like Mercedes who participated in the use of slave labor, the repression of free people, and generally bought into extreme fascist ideals because, well, that was what the government wanted, was good cooperation from their corporate denizens uh, and, and, and through regulation. So, Chuck, it's great to invite the government into your tent. But when you wake up in bed with the government, you didn't think you invited into your tent. Just remember, you're the one who wanted them in the bed with you. Maybe you were a little tipsy when you invited him. Josh, uh, we need to get a really analyzation of how the changes to election calendar has affected this election cycle. Oh, listen, states for years have been pushing for primaries earlier, trying to change the flow. Um, that electioneering has been going on for years. Remember, the parties used to punish people for trying to rearrange, rearrange that. Um, and foreign influence in the social discourse in the campaign process, absolutely. Uh, the Russians were pushing all kinds of stuff. The Chinese, you know, 400-pound hacker in his bed, President Trump thought maybe was behind some of it. Um, sure, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And part of that is, again, because people don't really know what they believe, they're easily pushed um, on a lot of these things, and they tend to believe uh, negative things they see about people. Uh, but I'm always curious because people will always be sending me stuff that's not getting covered. I'm like, Carl, but you don't know. No one's talking about it. And I'm like, well, that's strange because they are talking about it. So, for instance, Fox News is the most popular channel on cable television. So Fox reaches a lot of people. So if you don't think uh, people are hearing about what's on Fox News, you're wrong. People are hearing about it. Talk radio reaches 50 million people in the United States. People are hearing about these things. Okay. Uh, they're not always agreeing with you. And that's part of the reason with this whole election mess. Um, you have to remember that not everybody sees the world the way you do, just as you don't see the world I do or other people don't see the world I do and I don't see the way they do. I wouldn't vote for AOC. Um, I wouldn't vote for the local rep. Um, neither one appeals to me. But in AOC's home, 
district, she appeals to the voters, and here Mr. Perry appeals to the voters, right? Um, I'd rather have Liz Cheney. Uh, she makes the most sense to me. Oh my gosh, my head's going to explode. How can somebody have a different view of the world than me, and how could another candidate win when everybody or majority of sensible people must think like I do? Um, no, it doesn't work that way. Traditionally, people in different regions of the country have different ways of viewing the world, different ways of prioritizing things, values that are more important to other people. We've always had slick people from Massachusetts and New York City liberals and conservatives from the Bible Belt, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing to belittle there. They're going to choose different representatives. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks that Bill Gates wants to grow food in, quote, peach tree dishes. Um, I think she meant petri dishes, not peach tree dishes. Um, but God bless her. There's a million people that think Marjorie Taylor Greene is the bomb. And they want to send her to Congress. Uh, and they get to do that. Other people get to send Steve Scalise. Uh, up in Erie, where, when, when I was in college, we sent Phil English, uh, who was actually a policy wonk. Um, it's not a big deal, Right. But you have to remember that not every election was stolen just because the candidate you thought should win won. Um, and despite all this theory of election fraud, uh, the Durham report came up short, right? Durham uh, just lost his first jury trial. Uh, Josh says, uh, two nomination period ending on Friday, not a Tuesday. It's highly abnormal. The Secretary of State could have pushed the maps next year to keep the same calendar. Yeah, but who can? cares? Is it going to make a huge difference? I don't know. Josh, I, I want to explore that. Um, I do want to explore that. Um, I see we're getting a couple of YouTube users on here, which is kind of interesting to me. One was my son, by the way, who said, quote, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm out of here. Uh, so that was at least uh, uh, fun to have him on for all three seconds. Um, all right, guys. So here, here's what we're going to do. This was the inaugural session of this show. Uh, it was something fun to do, but it's something I want to do on a regular basis. I want to build a dialogue. So one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to take this video. I'm going to, it'll be up on, you can watch it again if you missed it, or if you're just coming in, you can hear the whole thing. Uh, we did get one live caller. We're going to work on the technology, get video callers. I want to schedule some guests. I want people, if you want to be on the show, let me know. We'll get you scheduled. We'll get you in here. Um, I want your voices. Uh, I want you to challenge me on things, too. I want you to guide me and direct me. Um, some of the rhetoric that we engage in on Facebook, you know, in our short little bursts uh, and, and the provocative things we say to each other is valuable. But I think long format dialogue with more in-depth and research will be far more valuable to us in the long run. So that's our goal here, okay? That's what I'm shooting for. Um, I'm going to keep plodding along. I'm hoping you'll share this uh, feed with some friends. And after the show comes into a final format, if you would, just share it. Um, that'll help build our audience. Uh, you guys are my initial listeners. You are uh, much appreciated and loved for that. And, and I do thank you. Um, really does mean a lot to me. I know who you are. I guess I know a lot of you already. Um, and I appreciate that you're here. So let's just keep this in mind. We want to think about the problems. We want to think them through and we want to try to find solutions. But we want to remember that for every 
everything out there that's a problem is usually an answer that's simple and plausible and wrong, okay? And so some of my simple plausible answers could be dead wrong. So could yours. And that's the whole purpose of our discussion here. Um, so share the show. That will help. Um, I'm going to take this download. I'll be able to rip the audio out of it, and it'll go on Spotify as well. So if you want to listen to just the audio. And once we get the show format up and running, you can pick the way you want to do it. You want to listen live. You want to listen to the best of. You want to see short clips, or you just want to listen to the audio. Uh, we're going to get that all together. So this is, uh, I decided that we would build the airplane while we were flying the airplane, okay? Not maybe the smartest way to fly an airplane, uh, but probably the funnest way to fly an airplane, especially if you've got a little adrenaline junkie in you. Uh, all right, so thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to end this stream and uh, have a great night. Take care, guys.